The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right. Well, good evening, and thank you for being here tonight. Take your Bibles with me. Turn to Psalm 11. And um, I'm going to preach tonight a message entitled, What Can the Righteous Do? And um, we'll get into that a little bit here and and, uh, talk about that. Let's look at Psalm 11. And we'll just read Psalm 11 together. It's not a long psalm, so if you read along with me. In the Lord put I my trust, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone and and horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance does behold the upright. Let's pray. Father, we indeed know that you are holy, you are righteous, and we also know, Father, that you expect and demand the same from us. Though we be weak and though we uh, be sinful, Lord, we know that you have given us the, the uh, advantages that we need to live our lives to your glory and to your honor. So tonight, as we gather around your word, I pray you'd give us strength, give us wisdom, help us, Lord, to, um, to, to build uh, our lives and grow in the grace that you've given us. And Father, that we might be pleasing unto you and in our daily lives. Thank you for this time we have. Bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. America is a very different nation tonight. She's a far cry from what she was 229 years ago when men in this country fought and stood together to shake off tyranny, to shake off injustice, and to declare liberty and freedom. The precepts of Liberty and freedom for all are quickly fading when, when applied to biblical principles. Our rights as believers have been sacrificed uh, on the altar of liberalism. Prayer and the Bible is gone from schools and government buildings and the workplace across our nation. Now, I'm not a I'm not a, a fatalist. I'm not a defeatist. I'm not going to stand here tonight and, and, and preach doom and gloom. But I think it's important that all of us, as we sit in our nice building in the warm environment that we have tonight, it's important that we all understand and realize that the foundations of moral, uh, the foundations of morality and religion in this country is beginning to crumble. 200 and over 230 years ago, men left Europe. They spent their fortunes. They, 
they endangered their families, they periled their lives to come to a place where they would be free from governmental tyranny, where they would be free from religious persecution, where they could establish their homes, where they could live their lives day to day, free to worship their God, free to pursue their own, their own desires uh, in, in their life. And they came to this country and, and, and they came here because it, pro- it provided them opportunities to, to do all those things. Tonight, America can be compared to the Titanic. The Titanic was damaged beyond salvage. And though she stayed afloat for quite a while after the great damage occurred, her fate was sealed. She was doomed. She was going to sink. It's just a matter of time. I hear, I hear people across this country preach about revival in America. I wish that were true. I wish we could see, I wish we would see revival in America, but tonight I think we need to be realistic. We're not going to see revival in America, not across the nation at least. Maybe, maybe small little churches like ours will, 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 will uh, get, get a fire for God and, and, and zeal for God. But as a whole, our nation, I think we all understand this tonight. Our nation is not going to turn back to God. The liberals are in control tonight. There are far too many God-hating people in political office. And those who, those who would be God-fearing won't get to positions of authority in our government. Do you realize that anymore? I, I, I hope you do. Any man who truly, who truly fears God and stands against abortion and against homosexuality, he's not going to advance in political office. So we need, to, we need to wake up tonight. We need to understand. And we need to, we need to prepare our children. And we need to prepare ourselves for a long, arduous journey in this country and in this nation. Now, don't get me wrong. I love America. I served in this nation's armed forces. As a young man, I, 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 I accepted the responsibility that before I pursued my own my own future in life, that I owed a debt to my nation, to my country, to the men and women who went before me and, and gave their lives for freedom. I owed a price for freedom. I understood that. I love America tonight. I'm as patriotic as they come. But America's wounded. America's hurting tonight. Now, I realize God can do all things. And if it were God's will to send revival across America tonight, there'd be no force on earth that could stop it. I think we all know that. We know that, that if it were God's will to save this country, that he would do so. If it was God's will to, to salvage America, he would do so. But does America deserve salvaging? Has America pushed God too far? Has America gone too far tonight and the, the wrath of God will not be stayed? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. Let's all turn there together real quickly just, just to give you a, a little bit of a, of a, of a feel for where I, 
where, I, where I'm coming from. Genesis chapter 18. Now we know the story here. God has come to Abraham and he's revealed to Abraham that he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham knows that Lot lives in, in Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, and Abraham is, is trying to see if he can possibly um, preserve his, his nephew's life. So in Genesis chapter 18, we go to verse, to save some time, we'll just read two verses, verse 32. Now, Mo, uh, Abraham, Abraham has come from bargaining with God from having 50 righteous in the city down to 40, down to 30, down to 20. And now we pick up in verse 32 and, and we read here, and he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abram, and Abraham returned unto his place. And we know the fate of that story, don't we? There were not ten righteous within the city. And God can, can do anything God wants to do. If, God, if it were God's will tonight to send revival across this nation, as I said, there would be no force that could stop it. But as I, as I stand here tonight and I consider the, the fate of our nation, I understand and realize that men do not want revival in America. Just as men in Sodom and Gomorrah did not want to be spared, they did not want God, tonight America is pretty much in that same boat. I put no hope. I put no hope in the revival of America tonight. Now, do not misquote me here. I put a lot of, I put a great deal of hope and faith in God tonight. But I put none in our nation turning back to God. Because when I consider what it would take for that to happen, I realize that the mass of this, the mass of people in this country would not do what was necessary to turn back to God. We, God's children, have sold out biblical principles for secular humanism. Now, how did all of this happen? How did we go from where we were 229 years ago to where we are today? You know, I'll take just a moment here. In the late 60s, my brother went, went off to a state university. He went off to college. And I remember his freshman year, he came home and he had a textbook. He had all his textbooks, but he had one particular textbook, and that textbook was on communism and the values and benefits of communistic philosophies. I remember my dad coming across that book, and my dad just about came unglued. He said, son, what possessed you to study a subject like this? He said, Dad, it's mandatory. It's not a cho I don't have a choice. It, it's mandatory teaching. You know, those of you who are old enough may remember back, in the, back in, the, in, the, in the late 50s, early 60s, Khrushchev told Eisenhower that communism would conquer America without firing one shot. How many of you realize that's true? See, back in the 
back in the 60s, something was introduced into our public school systems. It was called secular humanism. And if you take the time to go online and look at the, at the agenda of secular humanists, you'd be shocked with what you'd find. And this is the philosophy that permeates our school systems today. You, you, you ever heard the illustration of taking a frog and placing him in a pot of cold water and slowly raising the temperature of the water? That eventually the frog will die without even realizing he was being killed? And through osmosis over, over 40 and 50 years, what has happened is these secular humanist philosophies have, have slowly, slowly, slowly permeated our society until we have a society that we have today where even many of our Bible-believing Christians have become desensitized to, to, to many things and have slowly turned into a nation of people that do not fear God. And this has all taken place very slowly. And today we have government schools that are not a whole lot different from what the communists had in communist Russia. Children are placed into these schools. They're indoctrinated into the philosophies that the government wants them to have. And they spit out these little bitty robots who have philosophies and opinions that vary from script, from biblical principles so that in today's society and in the, down the road in the future, the, the foundation of our, of our morals in this country are crumbling and decaying to the point where mothers will kill their own unborn children, to where homosexuals will openly and freely marry, and we have a society that is devoid of biblical principles. And we have sat in our pews and watched it slowly happen. And tonight, I'm not going to preach a very popular message, but I'm going to tell you tonight, the foundations of our nation are crumbling. And we as God's people have a rough road ahead to hoe. Before too many more years, Pastor Sands stands in the pulpit and preaches what he did this morning. He will be arrested. He will be jailed. Because our society is rapidly getting to the point where it will not accept righteous preaching. The day is going to come when a homosexual couple is going to come to that door and want to be married, and we won't allow it, and they're going to sue us, and the government's going to shut our doors. If you don't believe that, you're living in a glass bubble. It's, that day is coming. may not be in his lifetime, may not be in mine, may not even be in yours. But that day is coming in America. Tonight, the foundations are crumbling beneath us. It's plain to see if we just open our eyes and look at it. Even those that hate God tonight, Know that that is true. And before too many more decades, religious freedom will be extinct in America. I weep tonight 
I weep tonight for my grandchildren. And if the Lord tarry, I weep for my great-grandchildren. For what they will have to endure in order to live for Christ in this country. Yet, despite this, there is much for us to be thankful for tonight. There is much that still can be done for God in our, in our society and in our, in our world today. As I said earlier, I'm not, I'm not a fatalist. I'm not up here tonight to say, it, woe is us. Because for the most part, we let it happen to ourselves. It's our own fault. It's our own fault. You know, if you fall asleep on liberty, before you know it, tyranny has, has reared its ugly head again. And liberty has become threatened. And as, a, as was once quoted, the tree of liberty needs to be watered with the blood of patriots and tyrants from time to time. Tonight, I'd like to take a few, moment, few moments and just be an encouragement. I, I don't want to be long tonight. Yes, the foundations of religious freedom and liberty are beginning to crumble in America, and it will only get worse. But as the question was posed, what can the righteous do? There are some things that the righteous can do. And I want to just share a few thoughts with you. Number one, we can pray. We can pray. In Philippians chapter 4, we read from verses 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer is not the last resort. Prayer is the prime directive. It should be the first thing. Prayer should always be the first thing in our life. However, just as important as it is that we do pray, we must pray for the right things. You know it's possible to pray for the wrong things? You know that? And many times we're ignorant of what's the right thing to pray about because we're so self-centered and we're so, we're, our thoughts are so much on ourselves, sometimes we, we fail to know what we really should pray for. And sometimes we pray for things, selfish things, that, that aren't even right for us to pray for. In Romans 8.26, we read, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Our, our prayers often come from a sense, sense of self-need. Uh, in other words, we focus our prayers on what we want or what we need. However, we should pray from a sense of what God wills. Jesus, when he prayed, said, let thy will be done. And that's, what we, that's where we should pray from. We should pray from a focus of what God desires, of what God's will is. And it is in this vein that the Spirit helps our prayers unto the Father. Now, it's a biblical 
principle that we pray for those in authority and that we, we, we pray for them, but I don't pray, and, and I may be wrong in this, and if I am, forgive me, but I don't, I don't pray for Obama. Sometimes I pray that God would open his blinded eyes and that God would reveal to him the, 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 the wickedness in his heart. I don't pray for Dianne Feinstein. I pray that God be glorified in his own purpose and will in all things, including our government. There are some things. We need to focus our prayers on God's will. And, and, and so tonight, uh, I pray that God's will be done concerning our government and its leaders, that God's will be done in our nation concerning all these troublesome things. And if it, if it be God's will that, that we endure these things, then I pray that God would, would bless us and help us. Uh, so, so we're to pray for some things. What do we pray for? Well, first I say tonight, let us pray for strength. Turn with me, please. to Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's all turn there together and I'll begin at verse number 10. We read here, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. What do we need tonight? What do we need, what do we need in order that we can face the, the corruption in our nation, that we can face the, the corruption in government and, and all, the, all the, the things that we see attacking us on a daily basis to, to endure the injustices as Christians, that we have to face every day. I mentioned at work one day to a lady, I said, you know who the most persecuted people are? You know which minority is the most discriminated against, is what I told her? I said, it's Bible believers. Man, she almost bit my head off. I told her, I said, my religious, my right to have my children pray in school has been taken away from me. My right to, to talk about God in the workplace has been taken away from me. My right to stand on truth and principle has been taken away from me so that somebody else's rights can be preserved. Now you tell me who's the most discriminated against. And it's us. And if we're going to face these types of injustices, we need strength. We need strength that only God can supply. Because the arm of flesh will fail us. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, we read, And he set captains of war over the people, and gathered them together to him in the streets of the gate of the city, 
and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Did you see what he said? But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. We need strength tonight. I don't know about you, but I do. I need strength when I go out into the world. You know, it's one thing to sit here in our, in our church, in our pews, among our brethren, and praise God together and, 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 and sing praises, hymns of praise and worship Him and, and, and be encouraged by what we hear the pastor preach. And, but boy, it's a whole different thing when you go out there, isn't it? Huh? When you go to work and, and you're told you can't, you can't bring a Bible in here, you can't, you can't talk about God, you can't talk about religion. When our children are, are told they can't have a Bible in their classroom, they, they can't pray before their meal at, at lunch, they can't pledge the flag of America. You see, we need strength. We need strength to stand in our day and in our time and glorify our God. In the midst of the crumbling foundation in America tonight, abortion, homosexual marriages, we need the strength that only God can provide. So let us pray for strength. But then also tonight, let us pray for wisdom. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, James writes, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But, James says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. We need to sincerely seek the wisdom of God tonight. I fear too many Christians go to God and pray for wisdom, but they don't really want the wisdom so that they can live for God. They want the wisdom to have advantages in their life. Why do we want wisdom? Why do we seek wisdom? Well, it's important that we understand that we must do what we can do for righteousness sake. In Jude chapter, in Jude verse 3 we read, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it is needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We need wisdom we need wisdom to understand and know what we can and what we cannot do. And we have been called to contend for the faith. We've been called to, to stand up and fight for truth and fight for faith and righteousness. Now, 
it is right to fight against things. And it is right for you and I as, as believers to stand up and fight against the corruption in this world. It's right for us to fight against things such as abortion uh, or homosexual marriages. And it's right for our pulpits to preach against those things and to, to preach, thus saith the Lord. However, it's not right to bomb abortion clinics. It's not right for quote-unquote Christians to attack and beat up homosexuals. Yes, we are to contend. Yes, we are to fight. And that's why we need wisdom. We need wisdom to know and understand how to do these things. We need God's wisdom so that, so that we can approach things correctly. Now, I'm not talking about become tolerant. I'm not talking about sweeping sin under the rug and pretending it's not there. No, we absolutely need to stand up for truth and righteousness. But we need to do it in the right way. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We need wisdom. I'm appalled by what I see in America tonight. I'm appalled at, at what our what our Supreme Court has declared to be legal and right. Abortion. I can think of nothing. I can think of nothing more disgusting than abortion. You know what abortion basically is? Abortion is basically sacrificing children on the altar of sexual gratification. I'm going to go out and I apologize for, to all our young people. I'm going to go out and have all the sex I want. And I'm going to sacrifice any child I have on the altar to the God of sex. That's what it is. It's, 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 it's human sacrifice. It's sacrificing children. And homosexual marriage is an abomination. It's declared an abomination by God. It's an affront to him. It's... It's, it's, the most, it's the most grievous insult you can, you, can, you can do in the sight of God. And any nation that embraces these things deserves to be judged and deserves the wrath of God. And we need wisdom tonight. We need wisdom as parents, as we instruct our children and as we, as we ex expose them to all of these corruptions in our nation and how we need to proceed against them. We need wisdom. And only God can give us that wisdom. I'm not without, I said I was appalled, but I'm not without hope tonight. For I know that God will avenge his own name among the heathen. I know that God will, will avenge himself. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. We have hope tonight. Our hope is in the Lord. And we pray tonight for strength and wisdom. But then also tonight, I pray for courage. What can the righteous do? We can pray. We can pray for strength. We can pray for wisdom. And we can pray for courage. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, he writes, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul had great courage, and his courage came from the Lord. I think tonight about the men who, under great tribulation, stood courageously for God. I think about men like Noah. Noah, who spent 120 years building the ark. I think of men like Abraham. Abraham, who forsook his home to follow the Lord. I think about men such as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who defied a king to obey God. I think about men such as Daniel, who faced the den of lions for his faith. And I think about the apostles, every one of them who faced death rather than obey men. These men all faced great persecutions, greater persecutions than you or I will face in our lifetime. And they did it with, with courage. And their courage came from Christ. Their courage came from the Lord. We need to be just as courageous as these men were. We may not face a king who will throw us in a furnace. We may not face a king who will throw us to a den of lions. We may not face the cross. and We may not face uh, being burned at the stake. And, and we may not face all these horrible things. But we face difficulties in our life. And we, we face corruption. And we face tyranny in, in, in our government. Against our biblical principles. And to do so, we will need courage. We're going to need courage to just to say no. We need courage to do the right, to do what's right. Moms and dads need courage to, to tell their children, no, I don't care what everyone else is doing. We're going to obey the Lord. We're going to honor God. We need courage in our workplace. We need courage in the government offices. We need courage across this country. We need to stand and have courage in the face of all these things. But we won't be able to do that without the Lord. I can't do it without God. I need to pray and ask God to give me the courage. Lord, give me courage to, to live my life the way you'd have me to live my life. So, what can we do? If the foundations be destroyed, you and I as, as God's people, what can we do? First, let me just say we can pray. But then secondly, we can persevere. We can persevere. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. I think we, you're probably still there. Let's look at verse number 14. We read on, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We are to persevere. That means just stick it out. Uh, all of us here tonight could name people that we know that, that gave up. People that quit on God. Right now at this moment, I'm sure as I say this, all of you, a name pops into your mind. Of someone that you know that just, that just got tired of the fight and gave up. Now, I'm, not, I'm certainly not trying to be unkind to anyone. And I'm not attempting to imply that we are any better than they are. Because remember, Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And if you can sit here tonight and, and say that you, your faith in God is strong, then, then that's, that, that's because of God's grace and not because of your own abilities. I simply want to emphasize tonight that it's easy to quit. In fact, it's easier to quit than it is to persevere. Have you ever wanted to quit? Have you? I have. I mean, I mean I, I'm gonna, I'll be honest with you. In, in 34 years in the ministry, I've had times when I've wanted to quit. And God always seemed to give me the strength to endure. When, in those times when I, when I got weak and wanted to quit, I turned to the Lord and said, God, I just, I just can't do it anymore. I'm tired. But then I think back and remember what the Bible said about Jesus. That as he approached Jerusalem, the Bible says he, he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. The Lord knew what the end of that journey meant. But he was determined to persevere. He was determined to not quit. And there are so many things that would go into, into me quitting. And when I think about those things, I just, I just, I couldn't stand before the Lord and look at him and, and try to justify quitting. I could, I, I, I wouldn't be able, I just can't in my mind do that. God did not, you understand, God did not equip us to quit. Hmm? Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And you were not recreated by God to quit. And I was not recreated by God to quit. We must persevere. We must endure. It's, easy to, it's easier to, to, to succumb to the pressures of the world, to just give in and give up, 
and then justify those actions. It's easier to do that than it is to continue living for Christ. But we are to persevere. It's a sign of our salvation because we were equipped to persevere. We read just a moment ago a description of the armor of God. This armor is complete. God has provided us with this armor, and this armor is complete, and it will protect you, and it will protect me from the attacks of the world and the devil. So if we choose to quit, we must take off the armor. But if we keep the armor that God has given us, if we keep it secure, then we will persevere. We will endure. Our options are clear-cut tonight. Persevere and accept the consequences of living for God in a world of corruption and compromise. Or give up and accept the corruption and compromise and betray the Lord. Those are your options. And you have to make a choice. Joshua says in Joshua 24 and 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Persevering is a choice. And it is a choice that God has enabled us to make. So even though, the, even though America's changing, even though the, the foundations of moral fiber in this country are beginning to crumble and, and are, 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 uh, are becoming destroyed, what can we do? We can persevere. We can, we can decide tonight... It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We persevere. I guess the real question comes down to, who do you love? I mean, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. Do you love God? Or do you love the world? If you love God, you'll persevere. You'll endure in the face of all corruption and compromise, regardless of where it comes from. If you love the world, you'll forsake God. And you'll make excuses for the corruption, and you'll just simply give in. My daddy used to tell me, boy, don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you've done. Put your money where your mouth is. You love God tonight? Then live like it. It's real simple, isn't it? I can tell my wife I love her. Or I can show my wife I love her. Which one do you think she prefers? I can tell God, I love you, God. But then lay out a church on Sunday. I can tell you, I love you, God. But then lie, cheat on the job. I can say, I love you, God, and forsake biblical principles. 
Or I don't have to say a thing because God will observe my life and he'll know that I love him. So the foundations crumble. What do we do? Well, we pray, we persevere. And then lastly, and I'll be done, we trust in God's promise. We trust in God's promise. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. These are are verses that our school kids could quote. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. There's a lot of things I do not know tonight. A lot of things I don't know. But there's one thing I do know. Jesus is coming again. Did you hear me? Jesus is coming again. Obama can't prevent him from coming. The United States Senate cannot prevent him from coming. The abortionists cannot stop him. The gay rights activists can't keep him back. The Islamic jihads can't prevent him. No force on earth, no power in the universe can stop Jesus from coming back. Because he promised he was. And he will. And why is he coming back? For me. I don't know if he's coming for you tonight. I don't know if he's coming back for you because I don't know if you're saved or not. You tell me you are. Some people tell me they're saved, but they don't live like it. But I do know he's coming for me. And I'm waiting with anticipation. Often I drive and I look up in the clouds and I wonder if he's on his way. Keep your ear open. Listen for that trumpet and that shout. My wife says I'm the worst driver on the highway. I told her, I said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till the rapture. And then my car is going to run all over everywhere. You know what? Jesus is coming again. If that doesn't excite you, then something's wrong. Jesus is coming again. And he's coming for you. He said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. I'm preparing a place for you. And I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. So don't you think that I can pray? Hmm? Don't you think that I can persevere when I know that he's coming for me? The world can do its its worst. They can do whatever it wants to me. 
The world can burn me at the stake. The world can hate me. The world can, can, can cast me out. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care because Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to receive me to himself. And I'm going to be with him for all eternity. What can the righteous do? There's a lot of things we can do. We don't have to give in to the world. We don't have to, we don't have to live defeated lives. We don't, we don't have to give up. Now, I think we need to be realistic. I, I, don't think we, I don't think we ought to be like ostriches sticking our head in the sand, pretending the world isn't in the condition it's in, pretending America's not in the condition it's in. Because these kids here and these young children... They need you to understand what, what's going on and they need you to prepare them to face it. And, the, and, and, and there are still a lot of God's elect saints out there who need to see someone standing for Christ in the midst of all of the, in the, midst of all of the confusion, all of the corruption. They need to see that light. There needs to be a shining light in the darkness. We are those lights. And we have to shine as lights for Christ. I hope tonight you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to discourage us so that we all leave thinking, oh God, America is just, oh man. That's not my, that wasn't my purpose. My purpose is to show you that we need to be strong and courageous and brave and we need to, we need to per- persevere through Christ and we need, we need to stand on the promises of God and we need to, to face each day with the zeal of God's children and we need to be excited about, about our stand for Christ and we need to proclaim righteousness in a dark world. That's what we need to do. What can the righteous do? The righteous can do an awful lot. We're not defeated. We are not defeated. Victory is ours. May not be, it may not be a pleasant journey, but the destination is well worth the trouble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the strength that you give us. Thank you for the wisdom that we, we gain from your word. <laughs> We pray, Lord, tonight that you'd give us courage, that we would stand for you in, in a dark world. I pray, Lord, that we would persevere, that we would not quit, that we would not give up, that we would not lose hope in you. And I pray that we would seek your great promises, we would stand on them, and that we would live for you through all these things. Bless us now as we dismiss in, in song. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, You may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.